Well, a very hearty good morning and cock-a-doodle-doo to you one and all. Well, last week we were in the book of Job, and in a very short amount of time, Job loses his wealth. He loses just about all of his workforce, his possessions, his health. And then last week, his wife asked the big question, where she says, in other words, Job, are you, are you still trusting in this God of yours? Just get it over with, curse him, and just die. And yet we had marveled last week how in all of this, Job did not curse God. And yet as we continue where we left off, and we come to chapter 3 of Job, although it's true that Job does not curse God, Job nevertheless does curse. Job chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Where it says that after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, a man is conceived. Let that day, Job says, be of darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. Dropping down into verse 9, he says, Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. Nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. And then starting in verse 11, Job has a big question of his own that he, he says out loud. Where Job says, why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and have been quiet. I would have slept, then I would have been at rest. And on those rare occasions when we actually read a passage like this, I'm sure there are all kinds of people who are wondering at this very moment in time, why are we reading a passage like this? I mean, this is not exactly a very peppy passage, is it? This is not a scripture that is sparkling with confetti or with glee. This is not a feel-good memory verse that is ready to be slathered on a picture of a guy lifting his arms in the air in front of a sunrise. But it is so real. And it is so raw. And it is so brutally honest. And I love that about the Word of God. And all of these individuals who ask these big blunt, uncomfortable questions. Well, in our text, where we began in chapter 3 and in verse 1, there, is, there are a couple things that are very interesting that are happening in this opening phrase of chapter 3. Where it says that, that after this. Now, what Job is doing, as we see in those last, last couple of sentences of chapter 2, is that Job is taking part in a process of Jewish ritual mourning called Shiva. 
Shiva is a word which means seven. And so what you would do in Shiva is for an entire week after a burial in your family, you would do no work. You would not leave the house. Oftentimes you would even cover all of the mirrors that were inside your house. And you would only allow only the very closest people who you trusted the most to be in your company. And while there could be speaking in this process of Shiva, Commonly, you would only speak if the person mourning has already spoken to you. And so what is happening usually in this process of Shiva is that you would sit in the darkness in this very eerie quiet, in a silence that was so very deafening. And this is where Job is right now as chapter 3 opens up. Now, going back to last week, when we read about Job, we do not need to envision a man who looks as healthy as we are this morning. But remember, we need to envision a man who has extreme leprosy. We need to envision the elephant man who is mourning all ten of his children, whose wife has just said, you need to be put out of your misery, so curse God and die. And yet the other thing that is very interesting about that first verse in chapter 3 is that it says that after this, Job opened his mouth. And so after one week of saying absolutely nothing, if very little at all, what this means in the Hebrew language is that what is about to come out of Job's mouth is very calculated language. In other words, Job has, has had all the time in the world to really think and to marinate on the words that are coming out of his mouth next. These are carefully, meticulously chosen words. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul lifting a hand just before he speaks on Mars Hill, where Job has spent at least a week sitting in this eerie, quiet silence. And now there is a transition, and now Job is going to speak again. This is a person coming out of a coma after one week, and, and they have that very first movement, that very first opening of the eyes, and the life returns to their face, and then words start coming out of their mouth. This is a very, very big deal. In these situations, you lean in, and you want to hear what this person is about to say. And isn't it remarkable that after all of this time sitting in silence, Job uses his very first words to curse. And notice what Job is cursing. Job is cursing his date of birth. Job is lamenting the fact that he has a heart that is beating in his chest, oxygen that is in his lungs right now. In so many other words, clearly and emphatically, what Job is, is saying is that, I wish that I had never even been born. And the question that I want to pose to you as well as to I this morning is, what if this is not Job being melodramatic? But what if this is the experience of the children of God when we find ourselves in these situations because what Job is doing right now in the text 
is he is showing and what is resonating from Job is one of the most universal human yearnings that we have as creatures. Job is asking why. God, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why will this not just come to an end? Why does this just keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse? Six different times Job asks this question, why? Verse 11, he says, why did I not die at birth? Verse 12, why did the knees receive me? Why did the breast nurse me? We drop down into verse 16 and again, he says it again, or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. Verse 20, again, he says, Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it does not come, who dig for it more than for hidden treasures, and who rejoice exceedingly, and they are glad when they find the grave? Yet again, in verse 23, he says, why? But, but over and over again, what Job is saying is, why, why, why? And it reminds me so much of, of what happened to Nancy Kerrigan, as she is this young, talented Olympic skater who is that close to seeing all of that, that hard work pay off and, and her career skyrocketing. When she gets through with a performance and she is attacked by a hitman. And I know that, that it's mocked all the time in pop culture now, but, but the very first words out of Nancy Kerrigan's mouth is as she is writhing on the ground in pain, clutching at, at her ravaged knees is why? And she just cries it out. Why? 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 And you know, there are many people in the world who ask the question, why are we here? But Job is experiencing so much sorrow in his life that he is asking those, those exact same words, but in an entirely different way. Where Job's question is, why am I here? I mean, God, why did I have to exist? Why did you create me in the first place? Why am I alive? Why did my mother and, and all of those, those nurses go to so much trouble bringing me into a world that would absolutely, utterly ravage me and destroy me? And Job just keeps lamenting it, that if only my mother and my nurses had neglected me, I would not have survived. And that would have been the, the greatest thing in the world to me. Job is saying, if only my mother's womb had been my tomb. A modern day way of expressing this would have been, why didn't my mother have an abortion when she was pregnant with me? And as we read in verse 13, he begins romanticizing about death and he speaks about the calmness and the stillness of death. Where he just... You know, he daydreams being at rest. And he says that if I were dead, if I never had been born, all of these troubles and all of this hellish heartache, 
It never would have happened to me because I never would have happened. And so what he's saying to God is, God, just get me out of here. I can't go one more step. And I just want to know, have you ever been there before? There are a lot of things that I have yet to learn in this world. But one thing that I have learned is that if you have not been in a place like this, where you are saying, God, take me out of here. If you have yet to experience sorrow and a heartache like that, rest assured, guaranteed, you will find yourself there sooner or later. And I mean, there are just all kinds of ways that that we find ourselves in this place. Now, in Job's situation, it was because of, of all of these unforeseen tragedies, which are happening one after the other in his life. In the life of Jeremiah, though, I mean, Jeremiah has sacrificed his youth. He has sacrificed the prime of his life and and a normal human existence. Only to spend half of a century being the village idiot of Jerusalem. Being humiliated. Being a laughingstock everywhere that he goes. Being beaten. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah has his Job moments. And it's so eerie because just about the exact same thing Job does. Where Jeremiah says in chapter 20 and and in verse 14, Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a baby boy has been born to you. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave, and her womb forever great. And then Jeremiah himself also asked the question in verse 18, Why? Why did I come out from my mother's womb only to see toil and sorrow and to spend my days in shame? In the life of the Apostle Paul, it was all all kinds of sufferings. It was bruises on his body that would never heal. It was him being hunted to the ends of the earth. And as if that alone were not, not enough for him, whatever it was, he's got something that he refers to as a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that is tormenting him. God refuses to remove it from him. And yet in Paul's writings, This also shows up in a couple of glimpses. Whereas he writes to the church at Corinth, what what he does is he compares our human bodies to a tent. And he says that in these tents, we are burdened and we, we, we so often groan, longing to be clothed with a heavenly dwelling. As he writes to the church of Philippi, what he says there is that, you know what, when it comes down to living or dying, Paul says, I am hard-pressed between the two. And a modern-day way of rendering what he said would be that, if, that, in fact, if I were to drop dead right now at this very moment in time, that would be far better than being alive in this world. 
And yet we always have to come back to Christ Jesus, though. Jesus understands this more than anybody ever has and ever will. Where we find him in Gethsemane, scared to death. He says that my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And yet we also know Jesus does not want to die on the cross. He says it three times. God, get me out of this, get me out of this, get me out of this. And yet, his submission to the Father's will and his love for the human family was, was far too great. He would much rather go to that cross voluntarily so that when we die, the grave will not win. Yet Jesus asked the question, why? Why have you forsaken me, God? We're going to find ourselves here so many times and, and for all kinds of reasons. It might be a toxic person in our life who, who is such an antagonist. It might be loss of a spouse. It might be a divorce that is so unfairly just, just lands on your lap one day. It might be financial ruin. It might be, be an illness of some kind. It might be a thousand other things. And yet regardless of, of how we end up in this place, Job and Jeremiah and so many others have been, really the beautiful thing is that God's answer to that question, why am I here, will always be the same. Where we find Jeremiah much later on, after Jerusalem has been overthrown in the year 586 BC, the book of Lamentations opens up. Jeremiah is sitting alone in a vacant city Lamenting how lonely sits the city that, that once was great and full of people. And yet now she is nothing but a widow. Jeremiah says that, that my soul has forgotten what, what joy feels like. And yet as he sat with God in the ash heap, and as, and as he sat alone in the silence with God, of all places, it is the book of Lamentations and the weeping prophet Jeremiah who brings us the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, but they are new every single morning. And so I have all of the hope in the world. Even though the Apostle Paul said that, that to die is gain, where he ultimately rests on is, is but until that time comes. He says to live is Christ. That means more opportunities to continue shining and showing a dark world who Jesus Christ is in my life and conduct. In Job's situation, as we come to the very end of the book of Job, Job chapter 42, verse 12, it says that God had restored everything times two to Job. And how the last remaining years of Job's life, God is blessing even more than he did in the first half of his life. No, that does not take away all of the gallons of tears that Job had cried. It does not remove the fact that there, there still had been those ten headstones of his children on his land that, that he would have faced every single day. And yet slowly but surely, as, as he asked why, and as he raged into that ocean of sorrow, 
sure enough, his nights succumb to the light of a new morning. And now Job has all of this comfort. And he's feeling happiness for the first time in, in a very long time. And whether it is people in the scriptures who we read about, or it is times in our own life that, that, that might be coming to our hearts right now and as we reminisce on them. Psalm 116 and verse 7, Return, O my soul, to your rest. The Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For he has delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And whenever I have been in this place, when, when I have been asking, Why do I exist, God? God, I do not want to be alive anymore. It was the most beautiful experience in the world. Going from living in the land of the dead, mentally and psychologically, to now being ecstatic to be alive and to be walking in the land of the living. In the same chapter, it says in verse 15, Precious is the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. And I know that there are many people in this congregation who are in the stages of mourning right now as we speak. There are some who are mourning the loss of a father recently. Others who are mourning the loss of a wife, of a daughter, of a beloved husband. There are others of us who are mourning all of the, the death and all of the darkness and disease in this world right now. And yet Job had romanticized about the tranquility of death. But because of Jesus Christ, we have something far more sacred than even that. Where we can romanticize and where, where we can believe in the assurance of the resurrection. You see, such is the sleep of, of all of those who fall asleep in Jesus. If you are there this morning where, where you are pondering, God, why am I here? God, I don't want to be here. Or whether we're, we're very soon going to, to find ourselves here, do not avoid that. Don't remain there forever, but, but do not avoid that. Like Job and Jeremiah and Paul, enter into that darkness. Embrace it with every fiber of God's strength in us. Wade directly into that ocean of sorrow. And yet more than anything, when we find ourselves there, just repeat these three sentences in our mind. Don't let go. God is with you. And so is his church. Don't let go. God is with me, and so is his church. We laid Jim to rest on Friday afternoon. And yet, just before we had arrived at the graveyard, something happened that, that I had never seen before in my entire life. Or after Maisie and her family had left the house and Jerry and I were, were right behind them, as we were slowly driving to the graveyard, 
There was a man who was blaring on bagpipes, walking up and down the streets of the neighborhood. And as we slowly drove past, I saw literally every single person in the entire neighborhood, young and old alike, spilling out of their homes, standing on the street corner with their hand draped over their, their hearts in reverential respect and tribute to the life that Jim Lowry had lived upon the earth. And as I saw that, I, I just thought to myself, that man and that gal touched a lot of lives and are continuing to touch a lot of lives, starting with their own neighborhood and their neighbors. May we also live in such a way that, that proclaims to the world that to live is Christ. And then at the very end of our lives, that to die is gain. My brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves suffering, it is inevitable to the sons and daughters of God that one morning, that shout of joy, is going to come. God bless you.